I had actually, prior to going with the Metro Stars, I had done one camp in Australia with the women's national team. It was, in, it was interesting for me because uh, for the first time, someone was telling me, as a head, the head coach was telling me, it's got to be perfect. Meaning the goalkeeping actions must be perfect because at the international level, you know, it's you're basically dealing with knockout competitions. Fine time. margins, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so these these actions must be spot on, and it it made me, I think, more detailed at the time. So, so it was a great evolution. That was our guest for today, goalkeeper coach for the Philadelphia Union, Phil Wedden. And my name is Omar Zini. Welcome to the Life Through Sport podcast. As you heard in the intro, Phil's coaching career has offered him some incredibly unique experiences. Most notably would be his two gold medals in the 04 and 08 Olympics with the U.S. Women's National Team, as well as participating in three World Cups, one with the men and two with the women. Throughout the episode, you'll hear all about the countless life lessons that Phil has accumulated from each of his coaching stops, and how he's equally as passionate about passing those same lessons down to coaches across the United States and around the world. He's been a great mentor to so many of us, and I'm excited for you guys to hear his story. Once again, my name is Omar Zini. This is the Live Through Sport Podcast. Enjoy the show. Phil Wedden, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Probably a little bit better than uh, than you would be at this point, but uh, we'll start that again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> wow, went straight for the heart. I did, I did. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, but uh, yeah, the, the final was a little crazy. Yeah, obviously, you know, when you're involved in a final, as a, as, as a fan, I think the final had just about everything you could possibly want. Um from uh, from a goalkeeper coach's point of view, it had again everything you want. It had great saves, great goals. Um, just unfortunate to come out on the wrong end of it. But as you see, that I mean, in the in the World Cup, that's the way that games are being decided at the highest level. So uh, it, again, when you take a, a step back and you look at the final, uh, it, what what a great advert for MLS and for soccer in general. Yeah, have you had a chance to kind of rewatch everything or? Yeah, obviously you, you re-watch it. Um, there are opportunities within the game, I think, for both teams to to take advantage of the, of, of each other. Um, you know, there are things that perhaps could have been done to prevent that ball from being served in for that man, what's his name again, Gareth something. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, um, I mean, it was a great ball that was served, but could you know, can we stop that ball? And then, um, and then obviously the penalty kicks at the end. Uh, you, you feel you feel bad for the for the guys. You know Daniel's been fantastic all year long. Never seen him slip, not even in training. And he puts the first one over. And then as as you're seeing actually in the in the in the World Cup now, the left foot left footed kicker to the goalkeeper's left, the right footed kicker to the goalkeeper's right. That's where most saves are being made. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, those games specifically. It's always so hard to. I mean, do you even send any coaching points to Andre after the game, or is it just one of those games that you just completely sweep under the rug and it's over? The, the emotion is so high. You know, uh, winning, if, if we were on the other side winning the game, we're not going to talk about the balls <laughs> or going to the back of the net, for sure. That's you know, true. Um, and, and likewise, the, the emotion is so raw after the game. It's a one-off game. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, what are you going to talk about? Yeah, you know, that's true. Uh, so, so no, we never, we we never discussed any uh, real coaching points from the game. You know, again, the emotion is so raw that it's not worth it. 
Yeah, and I know you, you're a very thorough person. So I'm sure as a season, I mean, after a game like that, I'm sure after like a week or two, you kind of like re reflect on, on some of the things that maybe you've progressed on as a coach. So what were some of the things that you walked away from the season going, man, I really improved on that? Actually, uh, I think being more creative uh, in, in sessions, uh, the one thing that I try not to do is repeat sessions. Uh, there might be a similar setup, there might have a similar exercise, but I try not to repeat sessions. Uh, and the opponents that we played against this year, the standard of, of soccer is getting better and better and better. So uh, trying to replicate that in sessions, uh, I feel like I did a better job this year than I did last year. For the first time, uh, Andre played every league game, including playoffs. So that's 37 games for him, which he hasn't done in the, in the MLS before. So. I feel like, from my point of view, keeping everyone fresh and ready. Uh, Matt Fries played 15 games for our second team, um, and Joe played in an international friendly and, and for our second team as well. So all three goalkeepers really were ready to play, I would say, the majority of the season. So, so again, managing that with the, uh, the performance staff and everything, I, I felt like I did a, a fairly good job of. Yeah. Um, but also, to be honest with you, Omar, note-taking and uh, the, the way that we prepare sessions. I feel like this year I was much better at, at the minutiae, at the stuff that people, uh, people just think that you show up with a bag of balls and an idea in mind and, and, and go for it. Um, but we're quite meticulous in the way we plan things and then logging sessions afterwards uh, so that at the end of the year I can see that where our training focus was for each goalkeeper in particular, um, and how long they spent in distribution, how long they spent in shot stopping or uh, dealing with service and stuff like that. So I was much more detailed in the off the field stuff this year, but still not good enough. I still need to be better at that. So that's the plan for this coming season. Yeah, you said something really important at the beginning there of, of you don't want to run the same session twice. And I feel like there have been times where I've overprepared and I've gotten out there and I've, I feel like I had, you know, a good session. And there's other days where, you know, last minute we have an extra guy on the field and, you know, the coach is like, hey, I need this goalkeeper. So now instead of having, you know, a situation where you have three servers, you only have two. And then you're kind of going out there and you're, eh, you're adjusting and adapting the way you need to. But then it can kind of be a dangerous game because you're just like, oh, wow, OK, within a last last minute change, I could adjust and adapt and create a session on the fly. And then you're kind of like, well, maybe this is a thing that I can do every single day. And you kind of like have to fight that, I get urge to say, I'm going to just go out there and do this every single time. Right. And uh, the other side of that is what you, you might plan a great session and it's not going well for some reason. So one of the things I feel that coaches don't do enough of is prepare for failure. So if something isn't working, how are you going to change it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to tweak it? to make it functional, to make it real, to make it uh, more along the lines of what you wanted. Um, I would say in, in, in my situation, quite honestly, uh, the head coach, Jim Curtin, uh, is fantastic at giving me whatever time I want to have. Um, if he's going to start quite early with the goalkeepers uh, involved in the team training, then I have the flexibility to take them early and get started as soon as possible. Um, but for the most part, we have except for the day before a game, I would say we have anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes a day. But adapting, like you said before, you know, having one taken out or another one coming in or whatever it may be, you have to be adaptable as a goalkeeper coach.
I, I feel like sometimes you plan a great session. And, and, well, for me, anytime you think you've got a great session planned, something is going to happen. <laughs> something for sure is going to happen. Um, but you might, if you plan a session before you actually meet with the goalkeepers in the morning as well, that can also be dangerous. Before? Yeah. So, for example, uh, I might have an idea of what I want to do that day. I'm quite vigilant in being in the training room, being around the gym, getting a feel for what's going on in the goalkeeper's world that day. Sure. Uh, I have two goalkeepers who have a family, maybe a kid's sick, maybe they haven't slept, maybe they're sore, uh, you know, wh whatever it may be from, from a workload. So I feel like, again, that, that other level of adaptability, okay, I've got to be aware of this in my session, how do I manage that? That's interesting. So it's just something else. But I, I do it every day. Every day, unless I'm pulled in a different direction, I make sure that I interact. It might only be 10 seconds, but I, I interact with all of the goalkeepers before I actually nail down the session. You just get a feel of if I try to make something a little too complex, this may be best served for a day where everyone's a little bit more fresh and a little bit mentally not, not so drained. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm not prying into their personal lives. Like we're not, you're not friends with the goalkeepers necessarily, um, so I'm not going to pry into their personal lives or anything like that. But organically in a conversation, so, you know, I'll say how you're feeling, and then something will come out. So, so I feel like that's really important. That's a, that's an important part of goalkeeping that we often neglect. And it also depends on the stage of the week and the stage of the season. So, are you coming back after a day off? Are you coming back after two days off? Is it a, have you only got two days in between games? Is it the beginning of the season, the end of the season? What do you have to manage? And there's all these different little things that come into goalkeeper management. And that's not even the number one. That's all of the goalkeepers in your goalkeeper group. You might have four people that you have to attend to in different ways. Yeah, that's a, it's a skill I think you learn over time, right? I mean, I think you're saying it right. Of, of, uh, you've, you've done... For, for example, like second teams before. So you kind of have an idea of those goalkeepers who may be a little bit uh, upset. If, for example, this season we had Abraham, who was our starter at some points, and then Tomas would come down. Yeah. And then it was just those, those days where you have uh, Tomas is probably going to play on the weekend. So how do I speak to Abraham in a way that's going to convince him that, you know, just keep on training well, keep on training hard. Um, but then you have those, hey, how are you? And then they, they say, hey, man, I'm, just, I'm a little frustrated. I feel like, you know, I thought I have secured the position by now and, and you know, the situation is this guy's coming back down. So I just, what do I need? And then like you're saying, you kind of get a little bit of an idea of where their mind is at. So maybe that session, you need to like tailor it to say, look, okay, this is a situation. Yeah, this guy's playing this weekend, but you need to tell me what are some things that you want to work on and we can gain in those t in that time where you're not the starter so we can get you back into that number one role and I feel like you're saying it's so important to just say hey how are you and I think once you've gauged where they are mentally then you're saying you can kind of adjust from there but it's also part of being a human you know uh, mm. I'm invested in these goalkeepers as human beings first and foremost so I, I you know uh, and, and that helps to build the trust uh, and trust between goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches is, is a massive thing. The other side of what you said with your, your goalkeeper coming from the first team to the second, now, now that should happen in every situation. That, you know, if there's someone coming from the first team, they should walk in and play straight away. They're, they're not coming down to sit on the bench. They're exactly. trying to get valuable minutes, and that's something that has to be understood. The other side of it is the goalkeeper who's coming down really wants to be either on the bench or playing for the first team. 
So managing the psychology of it that way, uh, I'm, I'm being demoted, I'm not traveling with the first team, I, you know, wh whatever it may be, there's another side to it as well. Um, so making sure that the goalkeeper that is going to play is mentally and physically ready. Mm -hmm. So, it's a, you know, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. quite interesting. And any examples of like how you've maybe messed that up and at the same time, like you've recovered and said, okay, I can, I can deal this better next time. I've messed up so many things. <laughs> uh, I, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We have uh, our, our union two goalkeeper coach, Carl Spratt, is, is very, very good. And we, I actually have him on the field just about every day with me. Um, so he has, an, has a relationship with those goalkeepers. I would like to say that we haven't messed it up too much, uh, especially this year, because we've tried to be consistent in the messaging and, and consistent in our approach. So, uh, you know, I'd have to think a little bit, I'm a little bit older now, so I'd have to think <laughs> a little bit harder about times that I've messed that up. But there, there's obviously multiple times that, that I've, I've done. I mean, uh, whether it's poor communication or poor decision making, I mean, I go back all the way back to a game in Scotland. Tim Howard was on a bench. It was a friendly game. Uh, Casey Keller was playing in the goal. Tim Howard was on the bench in, t in a 70, 70 something minute. I think uh, Tim taps me on the shoulder and said, uh, "Any danger of me getting in?" Uh, and I thought, "Oh, I didn't even bring that up." So that, then you then you sort of whisper down the line, you know. <laughs> Uh, and the answer is no at that point. Yeah. So uh, from that point onwards, I was always very aware of if it was a, a certain environment, could we get someone minutes? Mm. Um, and I know that's not the first team, second team that we're talking about, but it was a it was one time where I, I messed something up. Um, and there's there's other other examples where I well many examples actually where I. I wanted to make sure that that second goalkeeper did something at halftime. Mm. So I took that upon myself to instill that in everything we did. And there's been a couple of occasions uh, and one high profile one where that backfired um, because then it creates a buzz about, is this person gonna go in goal? Are they making a change? And that's, that's a tension that you don't need or want. Something that I've noticed too is just like, it's work and sometimes, the, I don't know how to explain it, but like sometimes we prefer not to do the work of like, I've already done everything I needed to do with the number one. I got them ready. And then my mind is, that's it. I'm done. But then I think if you're saying sometimes you have those uh, mess ups or those something to pu push you back to like reality to be like, oh, crap, maybe I needed to give that person a little bit more attention today. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had something this year where at home games, I would take the number two and number three out and train them. Uh, but on the pitch before home games, then they would help us with the warm-up. And other teams do the same thing, have t the two and the three. And then it came to us that uh, you're not allowed to have the number three on the bench. Or, or out, sorry, no, number three out there Warming assisting. Mm. So what I did, uh, it would have been quite easy to bag that and say, okay, well then, all right, you, you're not training. Mm. Um, but then that goalkeeper is missing another day. And that you, you know at some point, in, in my experience with the team I'm with at the moment, the Philadelphia Union, we have needed all three goalkeepers at some point on, in the season. So what we did instead was we would, I would take the number three out uh, and train. Uh, he had to be off the field 90 minutes before kickoff. So we would train earlier. Um, then I'd go in for half an hour, get something to drink or whatever, come back out with a number two. And then he would train. So because I believe that 
or in the, in the way that we operate, it shouldn't, not, not I believe, but the way that we operate is I don't want the number two to the first time he sees the ball is getting smashed by the, the finishing yeah. at the end. So we go out and we do a good warm up, get him going. And then the number one comes out and he assists me with uh, warming up the number one. So it's really three sessions. Which you could absolutely, like you said before, uh, don't don't really need to do that. But <laughs> yeah. but again, it's investment in the players. It's in it's, you know, like I said, I genuinely believe that each one of these goalkeepers can play in the team. You know, and and they feel that, and I've backed that up with choices over the course of time. Yeah, you said earlier something about logging your sessions and yeah. all that. I think I was talking to Ali Lipscher. She was on, and I spoke to her, and I said there are some things that. Whether you know it or not, you say it on the field or you communicate to a goalkeeper and then that's your like breakthrough moment of like, oh my God, I just said something that was really great right there. Let me log that and make sure right. that I say that again and it becomes like a buzzword. Um, and I think the same thing happens in how we process things, uh, information with, with actual training sessions. So th this year after you've logged everything and you've seen everything, is there like a session or a specific topic that you felt that you incorporated this season that you said okay this is something that throughout the duration of a season keeps the guys fresh but also sharp enough to uh, adjust like the tactical uh, adjustments that we have as a team uh, well again a lot of our sessions are based around um, how our team plays the the types of opportunities that are going to come our way and then it's also based on the opponent that we're going to play so I sort of uh, merged the two um, I would say if we've got a four-day build-up so Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday three of those days are solely focused on that. Mm. Um, as well as, you know, if, if there was an issue during the game, I don't come out and say, well, hold on a second, on Saturday we conceded a goal like this, so we must address this. That's not the way that I work. So, you know, I'll throw those, those scenarios in just randomly within the course of training uh, without announcing it. I think the, the way that we worked with in possession this year was actually creative at times um, and allowed our goalkeepers to play more balls with the feet in training than they had in previous years so if you if you're asking you know was there one you know was there an exercise or training training method if you like it that we that we um, incorporated I think the we did a better job of not just isolating distribution but involving it a lot more in you know in in the actual structure of the session so it wasn't okay we're going to work on distribution here and then we're going to work on shot stopping here it was you know in possession and out of possession and you had the moments of transition and recovery to goal and and those types of things so again that's that's your evolution as a goalkeeper coach you you look at things and you say well i know i've only got x amount of time how do i maximize that time so i mm -hmm. feel like that's that's an area that uh we did well with so you weren't always a goalkeeper coach. There was a time where you were the head coach at Syracuse right. for 10 years. And I think one thing that we always have a gripe about with head coaches is like, how can you incorporate, like you're saying, more game realistic distribution so we're not doing it in isolation. So when you were at Syracuse, you were there for 10 years? Yeah. So for 10 years, were you able to incorporate the goalkeepers like you wanted to? Or like once the season started, you were kind of just like, okay, I want to incorporate you guys into this situation, but isolation go train I'll get the girls ready and then we'll get going together so it's interesting you bring that up because um, I, I wasn't mentored or uh, prepared to be a head coach it was like oh do you want the job okay oh cool oh now I'm a head coach yeah uh, I, and I found that it was very very difficult for me to step away from goalkeeper coaching so 
Um, I used to coach the goalkeepers. Again, I, I would hire assistant coaches that were very good on the field. Um, and all of them have gone on to be head coaches themselves, which is fantastic. It's great. It's great for them. Um, even on game days, I warmed up the goalkeepers. So it was. So I tried to incorporate them in training as as much as possible. Uh, so again, I would do that piece with the goalkeepers. The assistant coaches would do the stuff with the team, and then when it came for a global picture type idea, then then I would uh, do my best with that situation. Again, you you learn so much about yourself when you're in different situations. You know, I look back and say, wow, I I really could have done a better job of well, so many things, but incorporating a goalkeeper, d different different types of sessions now that I look back at and say, oh, you could have done that. Mm. Uh, in fact, I mean, Jim uh, Curtin at Philadelphia has some great exercises in which, I mean, the, the goalkeepers are making tons of decisions. I wish I knew those exercises back then. <laughs> or, or, or yeah. you know, so, so yeah, I, I think from, from a head coach's point of view, um, just because the situation was a little bit different, we, we used the goalkeepers quite well. And before that, you were, because I, I mean, I look at your, everybody, every guest that I have on, I like to see kind of like their trajectory as a coach because... As myself, I look at it and I go, oh, wow, okay. Sometimes it looked like it was, uh, looking back on it, everything kind of lined up. But I'm sure there was a little bit of uncertainty in, bet in between there. So how'd you, So you started at Southern Connecticut? Yeah, yeah. So before that, did you go to college in the States? Or like, what was your goalkeeping background before that? So I was, uh, I would say, a, a mediocre goalkeeper in England. Okay. Uh, I came over here on a holiday. Uh, one of those working holidays, like a, it was called North American soccer camps at the time that turned into MLS camps, et cetera, et cetera. I, and I got offered different jobs to stay in the States. So you sort of have to make a decision. Do I, do I want to play? Do I, am I, you know, wh what am I going to do here? And I got offered an opportunity to go to Southern Connecticut State University, actually. And Ray Reed was the coach then. And they had this guy, Boa Shoney, who was, was the goalkeeper there. Um, and again, he was, he was, phenomenal like so much better than me it was ridiculous so yeah uh, I think at that point well it, it became interesting so I transferred and I went to East Stroudsburg um, in Pennsylvania another division two school and again I knew nothing about American colleges or, or anything like that and then uh, I ended up playing for a group called the New York Fever which was just before MLS started uh, and I jammed my fingers. So I jammed three fingers uh, in, in a training session. And you know, you know how it is. Everyone, everyone out there has jammed a finger. And, uh, but one finger wasn't straightening. It would, like, wouldn't go straight again. I, I was thinking, so I went to a hand specialist and they said uh, that I have this tendon disease in my hands, which was common in Northern European men, but required surgery. And I was really young to get it. Apparently they said in the 50s and everything else, but I had it in my, in my early 20s. So that really curtailed any aspirations I had of, of playing beyond 24 years old because I was having a surgery uh, every two years. It would so, have been recurring and it would have been... Well, yeah. That's what happened. I've had, I've, I've had, I think, eight or nine hand surgeries now. So, I mean, it just keeps coming back. There's no cure for it. So, again, things could be far worse and it's... it's hasn't stopped me as far as the coaching goes. I, I may not um, be able to catch as much. So, well, I didn't catch anything anyway, obviously. Um, and, I, and I can't give anyone the middle finger on, on this hand because that finger doesn't straighten. Uh, but 
you know, it, it's it's very, very interesting. So I started coaching at a very young age and was afforded some unbelievable opportunities. And for me, life is about opportunity. Like you said, like you, you looked at things and you said there seemed to be a progression. There was no progression. Uh, I, I remember having basically having tryouts as a coach. I'll come down to New York. I'll evaluate you in a session. This was the Metro Stars. I'll evaluate you. Here's the goalkeepers. You've got Tim Howard and Mike Arman. Um, do a session and we'll, I'll talk to them afterwards. Those are, th those are, I mean, that's just the way it went. And, uh, How old were you at that age, at that time? Uh, 30. Wow. So you were my age. But, I mean, back then, Tim wasn't who he was or he was up and coming? He, he was up and coming. This, is, this was the year before he actually took over as the number one and, and, and things started to roll for him. Um, so it was a young Tim Howard um, and Mike Arman, who was traded from Kansas in exchange for Tony Miola. So it was that whole, oh, yeah, so it was an interesting dynamic <laughs> as well. But that's, that's, how, that's how opportunity has kind of fallen for me. You know, you, you, you get an opportunity, uh, the door opens and either you step through and, and go for it or you say, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure and, and opportunity passes you by. So a lot of people can get a little bit too caught up and this is the I want this to be the perfect move and I think I mean I had uh, Enrique Duran who's our head coach at the lights and he was at Barcelona growing up and was the coach there and then they had a project in Saudi Arabia and he was like look I love Barca but I can't be here forever and he, he talked about it he said man I was so nervous about leaving Barca because if you leave there it's like you're leaving the best curriculum the best players and now you're kind of going off into doing something that's not so certain and I think that's where the uncertainty creates a level a layer of adversity that you have to have in your coaching career because if you're not being challenged or day in and day out everything's too easy and you don't ever have to create solutions I think that is where you can stay stagnant and once you stay stagnant like you're saying those opportunities may not come and if they do you could be there for a year but you haven't grown enough and the players do talk to the the, the management and they will say sorry this guy's not cutting it yeah uh, I mean from that it's funny you mentioned that like the the so I was there and I, you know, we, we did well. We got to the, 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 I mean, our season went very well. We did a good job, all that kind of thing. Uh, and then I got a phone call asking me if I wanted to coach in a WUSA for more money. Uh, and when you have a young family and everything else, it was like, uh, I went, to, went, went in and said, I would love to stay. Is there any opportunity to um, get more money? The answer is no. So then I made a move based on, and sometimes, look, sometimes it's not based on our career, is it? Sometimes it's not a career move, it's, uh, it's what you think is best. Stability for St the family. Exactly, that, yeah. exactly. So, so that was, you know, uh, that was another, really a Syracuse move. There was a new, new head coach for the women's national team, and I didn't know if I had a job or not. So you go with stability, you go, you go with something that you're offered. Uh, so, so again, sometimes it's not planned. Um, but you do things for different reasons. And that's, that's also why some very, very good coaches haven't moved into college or pro or something like that. It's, it's for reasons that are more admirable. I think that's, yeah, I think as you get older, you start to recognize, hey, this, this coach has been there for, you know, 20 years and they probably could have progressed somewhere else, but they've really built a legacy there. And like you said, the family becomes a little bit more of an important uh, factor in the decisions that you make yeah. so what was that transition from the men's game to the women's game I think from the goalkeeping side at least 
It was interesting in that it was a new dynamic. So I had actually, prior, prior, to, go, prior to going with the Metro Stars, I had done one camp in Australia with the women's national team. So I'd, just randomly. Uh, so that, and then I got asked back and I had taken a job already with the Metro Stars. Um, and it, it was at a time that obviously the women's national team was coming off the World Cup, yeah, yeah in yeah. 1999, and everyone, you know, the the players are, are well documented and well known. Um, so it was uh, it was in, it was interesting for me because uh, for the first time, someone was telling me as a head coach, the head coach was telling me it's got to be perfect, uh, and what, and I don't mean that negatively, meaning the goalkeeping actions must be perfect because at the international level. You know, it's you're basically dealing with knockout competitions. Fine time. margins, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so these these actions must be spot on, and it it made me, uh, I think, more detailed at the time. So, so it was a great evolution, um, and I got to work with some inc incredible people. And then, obviously, uh, I flipped again and went to the, the the men's national team, and then back to the women's national team. So, I mean, the you you couldn't write what happened. How did you get the first chance at the national team? Before you go into the Metro Stars, but what was that? How did you get that? Uh, actually, I, I'd, I'd done the A license, so I got my A license, and Peter Meller, uh, who uh, is my mentor, and and you know we're we're in touch now still. I was going to go and watch him train. The, this was just before the Sydney Olympics. I was going to go and watch him train the the goalkeepers for the men's national team. That was the Olympic team, and it was Aidan Brown, Tim Howard, and I think Brad Friedel was going in. Uh, and I was supposed to go out to San Diego uh, and, and watch him train. And he calls me, I think it was, I, I want to say it was Christmas Eve or something like that. And he said, yeah, you can't come. And I was like, oh, no. You know, I was, I was gutted because I thought that. He said, but would you want to go to Australia? And I'm like, well, you know, so, and, and that's how it happened. Because at the time, Tony Giacicco had, had stepped away. They needed a goalkeeper coach. Um, I had uh, obviously a connection to Tony and... I, I got the opportunity and Peter at the time was working full-time for US soccer and actually was placing coaches as well so I mean all the stars aligned just for that one opportunity and the head uh, the co-head coach uh, Jay Hoffman was one of those co-head coaches and he became the head coach in Boston in the WUSA wow so when he he needed an, an assistant slash goalkeeper coach obviously I did okay in Australia so he called me. It is about who you know, man. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It really is. Yeah, but you're 30, and all these new experiences are are coming to you. What are some advice you maybe have for for young coaches that are experiencing these things for the first time, and and maybe don't have the same footing as you in terms of like self confidence? I, knowing you now, I'm sure I could see that it's very very easy to talk to you, and you're willing to help out the younger coaches. But like back then, was there anyone helping you, or did you have no, not really. Uh, you know, I would call Peter Meller and ask him for advice uh, if if I got stuck, uh, because I was. You you don't always get feedback, and this is something that has taken me a long, long time to 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 understand. As a goalkeeper coach, your your feedback is when the ball goes in the back of the net, and the head coach looks at you, all and uh, you know the, everyone's eyes go down the line, don't they? And they, you're <laughs> like, oh, I want to shrink up right now, uh, and everyone blames the goalkeeper. Yeah. That's your feedback. So I didn't know whether I was doing a good job or not doing a good job if I was doing what the coach wanted. And luckily at the time, for, for me, when I was with, with the US women's team, 
April Heinrichs was the coach, and, and she would give me feedback. Uh, and that was fantastic for me. That, that really was. That, that helped me a great deal. Now, that was part of the, the coaching structure that was, was in place. There was a lot of feedback given. And I feel like the relationship with the goalkeepers was good as well. So I'd, you know, I wouldn't ask them what they thought of a session. I still don't ask that because they're the goalkeepers. We're the goalkeeper coaches. We should, you know, we should be able to take a look back and say, I, I could have done better in this and that. But when, for, for a lot of goalkeeper coaches out there, we, we don't get feedback. Uh, the feedback is based on performance. Uh, of, of the goalkeepers you're training, so I think it's I think it's appropriate for for a goalkeeper coach to say to the head coach, you know, at the at the right time, uh, obviously not in the middle of the season or something like that, to sit down with them. Uh, if you're unsure about team tactics and things like that, it's critical critical that you have an understanding. So, you know, asking the head coach, please, can you explain to me what you mean when this happens? And and sometimes and some head coaches see that as weakness what do you mean you don't understand you know and well how can you have been here for three years and not know what i mean or you know um but but under trying to get an understanding and appreciation for exactly what the head coach is looking for is, is important because they're not always going to turn around and say good job or whatever else so i mean i went from one environment where you're getting a lot of feedback to another environment where there was zero feedback so i actually went to one of the assistant coaches and said hey, you know how do I know if I'm doing a good job? Like I, I've, the boss hasn't said a word to me. And he, he said, you're still here. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Haven't been fired yet. Yeah. Um, so, so again, in my current situation, we don't, you know, there's no pats on the back and things like that. So I, I'm still employed. So I guess I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I've known you for a long time now. I've, I've seen uh, your work in person at the conventions. I've seen your work online on IGCC, all the videos that you post there. Um, and obviously you are a refined coach at this point, but tell me about a, a time in those early days when, you know, you're kind of by yourself, the feedback is coming, but at the same time too, it's you and I can receive the same feedback on something, but you can absorb it and, and you know, take it in one way and I can take it in a completely different way. So what are some things that early on you needed to, I guess, work on emotionally to take those in stride and, and offer a different perspective? You mean as far as someone giving me feedback? You know, there's moments where you have those sessions that are unbelievable and right. you walk off the field saying, man, I feel like a million, like I feel like the best person, best coach in the world. And there's days where nothing goes to plan, everything goes to shit. I mean, a lack of a better phrase, but everything goes to shit and you feel like the world's caving in. So I guess, again, you kind of, we're, we're almost on an island sometimes. And if, if Peter Meller's phone wasn't answered, he wasn't answering the calls, but like, what were some ways that you were able to combat those emotions and, and keep pushing forward without being too discouraged? I, I think, again, at the same time of, or the same thing that I've done for, for many years now, I try not to be repetitive in sessions. So um, that there have been times that I've been stubborn with sessions, you know, and you know, whenever you plan to do a crossing session or something like that, or where the ball's gonna be in the air a lot, it's always windy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 can, I can think back to days where I've tried to, I've been so stubborn that I wanted to do something with balls in the air, uh, but the weather conditions haven't been conducive to that. And afterwards you've, you've, you've said to yourself, oh, that was a waste. I actually did that not too long ago. Like, uh, there was a time that I was in Portugal um, doing a session uh, w with the women's national team and and based upon who the opponent was, I was going to do balls on the air the, and the wind was howling and it affected absolutely everything but I stuck to my guns and did the session, it was a crap session. In that experience, I was on a plane home 
I, I, I didn't retain the job. Uh, so, you know, the, those experiences, again, talk about how life works. That's how, that's how life works. I think uh, early on, I can remember being with a goalkeeper whose name was Billy Gatti. Billy Gatti was a goalkeeper who was Argentinian and you know this is at Southern Connecticut State University and I remember him knocking side volleys left right and center and it was un just unbelievable part of the way that he played was he was very very good on the field and for those anyone who knows Billy Gatti or you know ever came across him he could play on the field unfortunately that didn't really mesh with the the team style so in in the training sessions I would I would do things that would allow him to be creative with his feet and then we go to a game and it doesn't transfer because that's not the way that the team played. And it took a coming together between me and the head coach at the time to, uh, it was one of those situations where the head coach gets up, walks down, walks down to me at the end of the bench because I was at the, ben at the end of the bench. I've moved <laughs> up since then, that's what happens, you move up the bench. I was at the end of the bench and uh, the head coach said in no uncertain terms, please don't have him do that again. Um, but the language was far more colourful, yeah. and it, it took an op you know it took the two of us to sit down and talk about how to how to manage this the the skill set of this goalkeeper in training. So, you know, I, I, I've learned over the years to try try my best to communicate with the people you work with, uh, and you don't have to be best friends, which is fine, um, but you need to find that working relationship. Yeah. Early days for you, Phil, what were some of the talent that you, you showed yourself that you felt, man, I'm, I'm really good at this? Was it striking a ball? Was it your ability to create sessions? Was it, what, what was something that you can hang your head on? Nothing. Really? Uh, the, uh, again, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have had the path that I, or to be on the path that I'm on. It's not the path that I've had, it's the path that I'm on. Because it all, you know, every, every coaching opportunity is a stop in life, isn't it? And, and you know, the goalkeepers that you work with, you're just one stop on their, on their journey uh, as a goalkeeper coach. Um, I, I want to say, I, I would say that being able to talk to people is important. Um, being, being vulnerable as a goalkeeper coach is important. You know, um, we have emotions as well. It's okay to show it at times in, in the right way. Uh, and I feel that that, I, I, I try, I think as, as I've got older uh, and more experienced, I am more honest than I than I was probably in the earlier years with goalkeepers because you're trying not to offend people as far as playing time goes. I, I try and be as honest as possible, uh, and and that hurts players. Players don't like to hear, you know, the, the honesty sometimes. Um, but but you have to be honest, not brutal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you but you do have to be honest because at the end of the day, they will thank you for that. Um, but being, I, I would say. Like, like, like a good wine, I, I've got better with age. Um, and I would like to say that I, I'm the Philadelphia Union crossbar champion. Uh, <laughs> and, and Joe Bendick and Matt Fries and, and Andre Blake, I'm sure they could vouch for that. Uh, so, so I've got better at that over the years. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's been, been a really long and challenging road. And I've learned something from everyone I've encountered, whether it's a goalkeeper on and off the field or a member of staff, you always pick up something. That's so true. Yeah. Everywhere you go, you always try to absorb as much information as you can. And I think that for me, this year was 
I was more of an assistant coach as well. So you have the goalkeeper role, but also you're doing scouting reports and you're trying to figure out, for example, if it's like a 3-5-2, okay, if our goalkeeper is good with his feet, he's the fourth center back now. How do we create sessions that incorporate that and give them that same look? And I think that was for me absorbing new information and realizing, okay, this is something that I may not need at the next stop that I'm at, but something that I'm learning and something that I, I'm proud to have at least failed multiple times to figure out that I'm capable of it. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, when, when we're thrust into different roles, it, it can stretch us a little bit and it can make us uncomfortable. Yeah. But one of the things for me is if you're uncomfortable, that gives you a, a, even more of a learning opportunity. So, and, and I think that for, for coaches out there, uh, we, you know, I try and make our goalkeepers uncomfortable on a daily basis. They never know what's going to come. So as a coach, sometimes in a new environment or being having different responsibilities, or, or even, or even, you might have had this responsibility this year. What happens next year when you don't have that responsibility for, for whatever reason? Someone else has come in, and hey, we're going to have this person do it. And now you're uncomfortable again because you feel like, well, that that was my role. What's happened? And now you've got to manage yourself as as well as manage other things. Uh, and I, I think sometimes goalkeeper coaches wish they could go back to the days of I don't have any other responsibilities I don't I'm not in charge of set pieces or I don't do this or I don't do that um, and then with, but the the danger with that is when they do that now they become that coach of I'm just going to show up with a bag of balls become a little bit obsolete at a certain point yeah 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 I think uh, what I what I do like though is that the head coaching opportunity for you and you still were able to maintain a little bit of, a, not a little, a lot of grasp on the goalkeeping side of things while at Syracuse. But what were the differences now? Is it just now you're, you're not, the ratio is a little bit higher now? You got almost 25 people that you have to be more accountable for versus your three to four of the goalkeeping side. Was that something that was a challenge at first? It, it was a major challenge. I, I think, you know, I went in there thinking that I was... Uh, again, I wasn't mentored. I didn't have anyone to show me the ropes. I saw, uh, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know the rules. I didn't, uh, and, that, and now the rules have changed even more. So, you know, that's just me being honest. I wish I knew more, um, but I had that cachet at the time of, oh, he's coming straight, flying straight from Beijing to be here. And, and again, the, the, you, you think that it's going to be easy, but then you're managing scholarships and livelihoods and, and all sorts of other things uh, you know again that being on the it really made me recognize that being on the field is a luxury it's a luxury so you spend you you spend as a coach you spend 80 percent of your time on the bottom 20 percent of your roster and you hope that you can get through the day sometimes to get onto the field and, and enjoy the game and, and coach and and do those things uh, I learned, so, uh, I saw and heard just about everything that's possible. I, I had to go through some really, really challenging experiences. And at the end of the day, you know, th there, there are things for sure, for sure, in player management and things like that, I wish I'd done differently. Um, or had someone, again, like I said, to mentor me and, and say, this is the path you should probably take. And, you know, I, I'm I'm proud of the fact that I made it th made it through uh you know that there was that there were a lot of bumps in the road and i was i consider myself really really fortunate to have been around some really good people and there are a vast number of players that you know i if, if i bump into them in the street somewhere or something like that 
we're gonna, we're gonna have a really good conversation and we're gonna you know share share good memories and all that even though it was you know there weren't a lot of wins and more yeah. losses so oh, it, I saw yeah, you guys were turning it around and then uh, in like the mid I don't know it was like 11 12 like it was getting better more and more wins and then it just kind of well, and then they said, uh, "Oh, oh, you've you've heard of this thing called the ACC?" <laughs> yeah, switch it from. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're we're gonna go to that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So so then you play North Carolina, Duke, and, and yeah, yeah, different playing field. Yeah, we saw the I saw the final this uh, UNC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any lessons that you have experienced at, at Syracuse that you still kind of carry to this day and reflect on? That that's a that's a really good question. Uh, again. Uh, being genuine, I think, with, with people, uh, there, there were times there that I wasn't, uh, because it was, yeah. You know, again, as a, as a head coach, and, and everyone can understand this, as a head coach, you deal with job security an awful lot. The more wins you have, the more job security you have. When your team isn't winning, you've got to try and find ways to win, and you got, to, you know, so, so at, at times you 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 play one person over another or you, uh, you in in the recruiting you do something different and what i mean not not break the rules or anything like that but you, but you but you you go and you you do things you go to different places to find a diamond in the rough and sometimes that works out sometimes it doesn't work out you know again looking looking back i, I would say being genuine is is the number one thing Mm. Um, and as a goalkeeper coach and as a young goalkeeper coach, you've also got to be genuine, but understand that you're not the finished product. I, th I think there's a fine line in everything we do uh, between right and wrong, but understanding in when, when you're talking about a game and you're talking about coaching a game, which is what we do, uh, whether you're a head coach or uh, a goalkeeper coach, it's not about right or wrong. Sometimes it's just about different and being, being open-minded. Uh, again, fortunately for me, uh, I was surrounded with some very, very good people at Syracuse. Again, it didn't didn't turn out to be in the wins column uh, yeah. a lot of times, but I was surrounded by very good people. And f I, I always swore that if I became a head coach, I would treat pe I, I would make sure that I treated people with dignity and respect, and I would and I wouldn't treat people the way that I was treated as at times as a, as a goalkeeper coach or an assistant coach. Um, and that, for me uh, to see all these people and still be in touch with these people, however many years later after they, after our our time together ended, that's that's important. That's valuable. Yeah, I think not being genuine leaves like a little bit of a knot in your stomach, no matter where you go and whoever you're dealing with. Because I feel like there's so many times you have conversations with somebody and they can sense it. You can sense it that like there's going to be at the end of this conversation every nice thing I've said right now, but. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is what's gonna, <laughs> this is what's going to happen uh, in yeah. this next game and stuff like that. So it's it's it is like a very uh, slippery slope sometimes because as soon as you veer off path, you can lose the player's trust and they can kind of see that hey, this guy is not as genuine or not as uh, honest as and forthcoming as we would have liked. But like you said, at the end of the day, the players just want to hear the truth, no matter if it sounds good, if it sounds bad. Just tell me the truth. And yeah, I'm. I have my own set of emotions that I need to reflect on what you told me, honest or whatever. I need to build off that as well. So I think that's also very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and again, whether if, if you're the head coach, obviously the, the program goes as you go. Um, so when I look back, you know, you said things were turning around at one point and then they went south when we joined the ACC, which, yeah. which uh, again, there's, there hasn't been uh, a progression in the ACC since, <laughs> but, uh, for, for a number of different reasons. But when, when you when you look back at everything, 
And you know, I, like I said to you, th there are times that I wish I would have looked at someone and said, no, should we take this play? No. Instead of not trying to, you know, yeah, I think we can. I think, you know, being wishy-washy, just a yes or a no. Because players talk as well, don't they? Yeah, you know, they that, do. that's, that's the thing that we all forget. We all forget, <laughs> you know, with, again, as a goalkeeper coach, um, you're working with a, a goalkeeping community and they all talk. They, they all talk. You know, you, if you go and you give a presentation uh, to, to a group of coaches, you know, that everyone, everyone is nice to you in the room. As soon as you're out of the room, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, uh, yeah. oh, that was wrong. I disagree. But um, the, the other thing that I think I found out about myself, and more so in the last eight years or so, is as long as you have a why in what you do, as long as you have a why, no one can tell you it's right or wrong. So if, if, if you're running a session, Omar, and I said, well, why, why did you have that like that? Or why are you asking this goalkeeper to do this? If you can say, well, this is the reason I'm doing it, then, then it's not wrong. It's not wrong. We are so, I mean, I, I haven't looked online because obviously I traveled here today, but <laughs> I haven't looked online, but I'm sure someone is picking apart the Moroccan goalkeeper yeah. for doing something yeah. uh, or Hugo Lloris for doing something. Uh, as, you know, everyone is so quick, excuse me, it's so quick to point out the bad. And, and jump on something, but understanding why, under, you know, th th those are the things. I, I asked someone last week, uh, I was in Canada last week, and the, uh, the coach had a goalkeeper started doing just the ground familiarization. So they're on one knee and they were diving to their right side, but their left knee was up. And I was thinking, oh, that, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder why. Leg, yeah, yeah the, the, the opposite leg. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, had, I had my theory as to why. So I asked the coach. And he said, I'm doing it because. I'm like, fantastic. I, I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. So in everything that we do, like, instead of chastising people, uh, I know we've gone in a different tangent here a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. Um, you know, the, the right and wrong aspect of, of goalkeeper coaching uh, in particular is something that I, th I feel like I've definitely evolved in. I would say that's it. that's one part, but I think the other side is I remember watching you at the convention in Chicago, I think maybe 2018, 2019. Okay. And after the session, you walked up to us and you were just like, hey guys, if you have any critiques or do you have any feedback for me, I'd love you guys to just, just let me know what you guys thought. And that was the first time going back to what you're talking about now, about like, I mean, I've kind of started getting more into social media around 2016 2017 and you can see there's a lot of hateful comments out there and, and at the same time that can kind of trigger something in you to say you know what no one's playing nice with me i'm gonna go off and and you know have these um you know bitter disputes with people for no reason i'm just gonna start commenting and all that and it it, it strikes something in you but i think when i had that first experience with a top coach at the next level already asking people who were for lack of better phrasing, kind of nobodies in the crowd. We're kind of just people watching you at the convention. You're asking us for feedback and critiques. And I don't know if I ever gave you any because I was kind of so nervous. I'm like, wow, this guy's actually like asking us. But I think that was something that switched my mind from like, no matter the situation that you're in, no matter how much hate there is and how much um, people can disrespect or disagree with what 
you see as valuable for goalkeepers, just ask for feedback. And that feedback is going to be very valuable to you. And I feel like when you opened yourself up to be vulnerable, I, th I felt like, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create that space for myself now where I'm going to allow myself instead of just shielding it and just say, you know what, tell me what you guys think. The quicker you can tell me, I'll tell you if I agree or not. But if I do agree and I can say, damn, I could have done that better. I'm already improving and that feedback is already 100%. getting me to the next levels. Yeah. 100%. And uh, you come off the field sometimes or, or out of a presentation of whatever it may be and someone says to, people say to me, how did the session go? How did it go? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, you, you need to ask them. Yeah. Because if, uh, and again, if I, I, I'm a, a, a big fan of critical feedback because that's how we get better. And I think that if you don't ask for feedback, if you don't get feedback, and not the, not the hateful stuff, but the constructive uh, criticism, constructive feedback, if you don't get that, then you're never going to improve. You're going to think what you're doing is right when all these cowards turn around behind you, behind you know, behind closed doors or, or on their phones or whatever, bash you yeah. for doing what you're doing, but don't can't come to you and say, why, why did you have the ball start there? And, and why did the goalkeeper do 10 forward rolls before she had to tip it over the bar. Yeah. You know, and if you can't come, you know, hopefully no one's doing that. <laughs> it's a very that. extreme sorry, example. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, but, you, you know, I, I, would rather, I would rather have that interaction with people because it also, for me, also checks for understanding from my session. So I'm asking you, what did I do? You know, or give me some feedback. What did you think about the angle of the goal on this or the, the placement of the second goal or the mannequin or whatever? If you were watching my session, you might be able to give me feedback. You might, again, the average attention span for most people is what, 12 seconds? <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they might have been texting someone else or, or, yeah. or, or putting something on social media at the time. Yeah. So it also checks for understanding. I, that I 100% agree with. And I think if you can create more of a space to allow feedback, but on your terms, were you asking somebody to tell tell me what you think versus uh, everything, everybody goes their separate ways and you're kind of just in the back of your head going, man, I'm speculating, I'm speculating. But, but, but I will say this, I will say this, Omar, I know you're going to go to something else. Uh, if you open that door, you've got to be willing to receive the feedback. Yeah. So if you post something on social media, you absolutely have to be willing to accept whatever's going to come in your direction. And the same thing, if you ask someone for feedback, it's not all, always going to be roses. Yeah. I remember the first time even just posting content, there was like the shortcuts of you post a session or you post like a video. And, and I sometimes said, I don't have time to put a full description of what I was trying to do. And I was taking some shortcuts and people were like, why would you do this? And why were, like you said, why is a goalkeeper starting here? That's not realistic. Well, I was like, oh crap, if I would have just taken two minutes to just express what I actually was trying to do versus taking the shortcut, I think that would have given me a little bit more of a leeway to receive the feedback from more of a positive, uh, I guess, someone who's delivering it from more of a positive place. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you have all these experience with the national team. You've won gold medals. You've gone to World Cups with the men and the women too, right? And so can you actually influence a goalkeepers in the national team or are you just trying to maintain and just prepare them for the next game? Uh, when I was involved with the women's national team, I would say you could influence because the women's leagues fluctuated. You know, that they, they were in, they were out until the NWSL. Uh, I think the NWSL is the most sustained league so far and, and, it, and, it, and it looks like it's going to be yeah. in, in good standing, which is fantastic. It needs to be. So you spend large quantities of time. When I was involved, you spent large quantities of time with these goalkeepers. So yes, you can impact them. 
because a lot of times there wasn't a club team for them to go to. With the men, no, it was, it was more about keeping them fresh and sharp because they're coming from their, their own environment, whether it was overseas or in the US, it was more about facilitation and preparation than about training and you know trying to get something out of them. I know you had those experiences with the women's side, but the men's side in 2006, correct? Yeah, yeah. And you guys, uh, at the time, was there like a, tra- I remember if I remember correctly, but it was, was it Casey Keller who played all the games? Yeah. And then was it at some point conversations of like Brad Friedel or even Tim Howard like stepping in or maybe, you know, Brad Friedel, I remember him 2002. That's, that's what I remember yeah. and save against Korea and how well he did there. And then I think when you shift to the 2006, was there discussions of like, okay, now it's... Casey's time and then Tim's maybe coming up afterwards or what was like do you have a say as the goalkeeper coach at those times um I didn't have a say okay you know uh and that was uh, I was a young again young coach uh in thrown in to a really really unique opportunity and you know Casey Keller was going to be the number one Tim Howard was going to be the number two and then it was really about who was going to be the best number three was it going to be a domestic guy or was it going to be one of the other ones that was playing abroad and it ended up being Marcus Hanneman who at the time I believe was at Reading uh, another another great guy so I, I really didn't have a say I, I would think nowadays I would think that the the goalkeeper coach has more much more of a say because they are traveling the world scouting them that you know watching them communicating with them a lot more than I did. I, I met but the first time I met Casey Keller. The plane was waiting for him on the tarmac in Miami. We were going to play a game against Trinidad. Wow. I met him on the plane. Didn't even train with him. Jeez. So, so that's <laughs> so, so absolutely no influence there. It's even tougher back then to keep track of those guys because I mean, there wasn't like Y Scout now where you can kind of watch all the games. No, no, it was very difficult. Jeez. Okay, so I mean, you've you've been exposed to those top top level players, and uh, what 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 do you think made like a Casey Keller unique, and then Tim Howard unique? At at, at the time, uh, so I'll, I'll try and go chronologically if I can. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. At, at the time, Brian Scurry was probably the best shot stopper in the world. So there was a, it, it she was fantastic in in the shot stopping realm, and then obviously Hope Solo came onto the picture, or or more more onto. I mean, she was always around. Um, she was the alternate for the Olympics in Greece in 2004, um, and she she had been more exposed to playing as a field player. So she was very good with her feet, and and that separated her from a lot of other contenders, if you like, uh, just just the ability to play with the feet, as well as the the athletic aspect and the mental res- resilience, I suppose. Um, so she had a she was very very close to a a complete package. So. You know, she had the athleticism. She was very, very good with the feet and, and had had the athletic tools, uh, as I said. Uh, when, when you look at someone like a Casey Keller, I learned so much from Casey Keller. I used to watch in training and watch him in games, and he would, he would be almost in this uh, sprinter stance, sort of hunched over when, when the team was, at, was in possession and the ball was going down the other end of the field. And then on the initial transition of the ball, when the... When the other team had the ball, he was still being a sort of hunched over sprinter stance. I was like, "What? No, like, what's he doing?" And, and this was sort of before uh, we really started to talk about goalkeepers playing off the line. So he had a quite an advanced starting position. And I mean, let, let's be honest, Casey Keller wasn't wasn't a, a track athlete, so not 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 unbelievably fast, but but positionally, he put himself in great positions. 
much like some of the older goalkeepers from years and years ago used to do. Uh, like Peter Shilton, for example, for, for England, would his positioning, he, he was 5'11", six foot on a good day, you know, if he had long studs in. <laughs> uh, and, uh, his, but his positioning was exceptional. Uh, and, and Casey's understanding and reading of the game was very, very good. Uh, and Tim, Tim, as he continued to develop, had a bit of everything. I mean, I, I remember when we were, used to train with the Metro Stars and you, you'd see him in a gym playing basketball. And I, I'm pff, unbelievable, unbelievable, the athleticism that he had. And he changed the way that the, the goalkeepers started to be recognised over here. I mean, he took a very wide stance, you know, and that was almost taboo, wasn't it, back it was. in the early years? Like, oh, no, feet shoulder width apart and all this kind of thing. But then he he sort of became, just his athletic ability allowed him to make saves that no one else could make. And as he refined his craft, obviously, the sto- I mean, all the stories are there of Man United and Everton and, and obviously his heroics at the World Cup and things like that. Uh, I mean, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. So, so those were really the, the main goalkeepers that I was around at, the, at that level. And now, again, I, I'm fortunate to be working with uh, an unbelievable group of goalkeepers for the last four years. And it's been, it's just been such an incredible ride. Even, you know, and, and I'll include the goalkeepers that we had in the second team when, when I was with the second team. They've all, they all were great to work with. And, you know, I see time and time again uh, just little glimpses of things where you say, oh, wow, how did they do that? Uh, you know, you, you look at Andre Blake and people are saying, oh, he should be in Europe or, or, or wherever. The defining, so so we talk about defining elements of goalkeepers, and you know, so I talk about Casey's positioning and and Scurry with a shot stopping and everything else. Andre Blake is as calm as you can possibly be, and humble at the same time. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He's very very consistent in his in his approach to things. And and for me, if I was a young goalkeeper and I was around him. Uh, you know, you, you can't be the same goalkeeper, obviously. Sure. You can't, I mean, you, you'd find your own way to manage your emotions and things, but his ability to just let things roll and, and get on with his job and, and be consistent in everything that he does, that, I feel, sets him apart from a lot of other goalkeepers. I don't remember him having a bad day in training. I mean, yeah, there are balls that go in where he's frustrated or something like that, but... He's always got a consistent approach which, uh, and a calm demeanor, which is very, very challenging. Yeah, consistency is from coaches to goalkeepers. That's what I've been hearing is just give me peace of mind as a coach. I don't even want to think about Andre as the goalkeeper. I want to just say I'm going to put him on the team sheet and I know he's going to give me an 8 out of 10 every single week. Yeah, absolutely. Jeez. We're running a little bit low on time. I just want to ask you, you've had all these experiences. Did you have like one ex- one story from those ex- each experience, the experience of like going to uh, I mean, Beijing? Not Beijing was the, towards the end of the national team, right? Yeah, that was two thousand eight. So two thousand four was Greece. Okay. Again, we so we went to Portland this year to play against the Timbers, and I, I remember in two thousand three the way that things used to happen. The Women's World Cup was supposed to be in China, and it got moved to the U.S. Uh, I remember being up in the rafters in in Portland for the first half with a computer uh, and clipping the first half and taking down like so I'm lying on my belly on the on the rafters 
in in Portland, you know. So and that's how we used to do it. Like you'd you'd clip the game, or I would clip uh, a few clips to take downstairs in the first half, and I'd be on the bench in the second half. So when we went to Portland, I was like, oh, that's where I was. I was right. <laughs> I was right there. So uh, and then w with the men's team, I would say. Uh, so I'm, I'm going down. I was actually driving to Baltimore. So I, I think I think the national convention was in Baltimore in 2005. Uh, Baltimore or Philly, one of the two. Uh, and it's pouring with rain, and I'm just getting on the highway, driving down, and the phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize, and the, and the, ne and the voice says, Hi, um, can I speak to Phil, please? I said, this is Phil, and the voice on the other end says, Phil, this is Bruce Arena. To which I used some colorful language and told one of my friends to, to go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, to which he says, no, Phil, this is Bruce Arena. And then I got invited into a camp for, you know, and luckily I stood there, so stayed there for, for the duration. Um, and I remember, uh, and Bruce never gave you a ton of feedback, uh, but I remember we were in Colorado Springs preparing to go to play at the Azteca. So we're high altitude training in February and it's freezing cold. And, and John Bush was one of the goalkeepers that had come into camp. And John wanted to do a little bit after this game that we played against the Rapids. And... I took a touch, it was, I was, and it was the most fundamental goalkeeping exercise. It was play a low ball down to his uh, low ball down to his left, so he had to make a save, get up, and then he wanted John wanted to push and dive and get some some extension in and things like that. So I put one ball down to his left. I struck the second ball up to his right, right in the top corner, uh, and you know, and John's frustrated. The ball's gone. I get a tap on the shoulder. He said, "You didn't mean to do that." This is Bruce. I said, "Yeah, I did." He goes, do it again. <laughs> so luckily for me, luckily <laughs> I did. You know, I did that same ball into a total, like low, low to left, and then high into the top corner. He just walks away, <laughs> which, which was, I, I, I suppose, a seal of approval. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, th those were things that happened there. You know, I, I didn't know uh, that coaches didn't get gold medals in the Olympics, so I was gutted when we got no. to, yeah, when we got to the the final in two thousand four. Found out that coaches don't get medals, so that, here I was thinking I was going to get a medal. So uh, at the time, my daughter made me one, which was nice. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that occur over the course of time. Yeah. That, you know, and uh, I'm sure if I if we had another five hours, I could come up with a lot more, <laughs> lot more stories. Yeah. Um, but it's you know, again, I, I'm just very, very lucky to have had some unique experiences, and because. I think because Peter Mallow was always there for me, in the, in especially in the early years, I, f I feel like now that I've had these experiences, I, I feel kind of responsible that just to share some information. And again, not right or wrong, and I'm not trying to be someone above anyone else whatsoever. But I think too many coaches are, are worried about what people think of them. You know, I, I am a people pleaser. I, I want people to like me, but if you don't like me, then tell me why. And if we can't get along, we can't get along. But I, I want to share information and it's not right or wrong. It's just to provoke thought and ask, have you considered this? Um, and hopefully I can do this for a lot longer. I mean, I know you've called me old, I think five times already. So hopefully I can- Experience, experience wisdom. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I can do this for a, for a long time to come. Because um, I'm, I'm certainly, I still have the same passion as I had when I was a young coach starting out. And I think 
having passion for, for the position and for coaching and helping and positively impacting the lives of young people because that's what we do at the end of the day. We positively impact the lives of people. Um, and that's a massive, massive responsibility. And I just want to be the best I can be at that. Well, you've done a very good job. I think a lot of the younger goalkeeper coaches, if we were to point at somebody who is continuously trying to rewrite what the dimensions are for goalkeeping in terms of like what's accessible for us in the IGCC and I mean, even the conventions and you being willing to come on podcasts. I think a lot of people who don't have the proximity to you can hear and see all these different videos and, and the media clips that are going around out there. And hopefully as he says, make the pilgrimage to the IGCC international goalkeeper coaches conference. It's in Delaware this year. Yep. Uh, in Wilmington, uh, June 23rd to 25th. Okay. Um, and the the cost is 995 that doesn't include hotel uh, but there's all sorts of coupon codes discount codes that you can get and uh, and again as always I'm going to try not to disappoint with the type of coaches that that we bring in how do you oh, I was going to say how do you choose them but I think that's they're all top so it's yeah they're yeah. all good they're yeah all good. All right, Phil, hopefully uh, next season you guys can, you know, win the MLS Cup. That'd be a good uh, recap for the next season. But thank you again, and then all the best tomorrow. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.